Guys, my name is Josh. I'm a volunteer here with Revolution. I'm just going to give you a couple of quick announcements as we get started. If you have told uh, those responsible, we are doing an East End breakfast on Christmas morning, so this December 25th in three days. If you have agreed to help them with maybe providing pancakes or bacon or more pancakes or more bacon because I don't know what else they need, um, see uh, the big ginger with a big red sweater. The tightest red sweater in the room. Where is he at? I can't see anything. I see something moving over here. Eric, do you need anything else besides water-made pancakes and bacon? We should be good. So if you said you're bringing stuff, we should be good. So hopefully you get your stuff to Big Red. Okay, um, let's see. Next week, we will have available for us the covenant documents. Now, that's a really fancy word for papers of just some information of what we expect from the people in our core group. If that's someone who, something you would like to be a part of, this is just a group of people that work hand-in-hand with our leadership team to kind of hold them accountable and a group of people that just want to continue the, the vision of revolution as God foresees it. Um, there'll be more information about that, so be praying if that's something that you want to be a part of. Um, a um, uh, couple of neat things. We have a couple friends with us, Dave and Krista Dunham. I can't see you, but I know you're in the room somewhere. Um, we're going to talk to them here in just a few minutes, and they're actually going to treat us with a delight of, their, of music. And guys, I've heard them sing before and perform. It is so cool, and I'm excited to hear them again. Next week, we also have a, a friend with us. Matt Rawlings will be back, uh, I believe, and I think he's teaching. So that's really exciting. Tell your friends we'd love for everyone to come back and just really show Matt our love and appreciation for what he's done for us and he continues as he prays for us. And I'm excited to hear uh, what, what he's doing, how he's doing, because I know we haven't seen him in a while. Um, one last thing before we, we, we kind of break out and just meet people real quick. The bucket back here, the little black box... The money that we collect from last week in this week, any money that you have in your pocket today would be much appreciated. This is all going to Courtney Smith. And for those of you who may not understand, she went through a horrible tragedy with her family. Her parents are no longer with us, and she is now responsible for three little ones as well. So we want to help her as much as we can. And right now, we know the biggest need is financial. So if you can provide anything, anything at all, please leave it in the bucket. Everything goes to her. And we'll know exact figures of what that is um, next, I believe next week, Ryan. Is that right? Okay. I can't see a head shake. So if you're shaking, I can't see it. But um, so if you guys at all have anything changed, let's just help her as much as we can, okay? Um, but what we're going to do now, I just told you to sit down, and now I'm going to tell you to stand up. We're going to take 30 seconds. It is the Christmas season, and one thing we, you know, I love about Christmas is the food. Of course, I love food anytime. It doesn't have to be Christmas. But, you know, my wife's at home with the family, and she's making a bunch of goodies, peanut butter cookies, you know, Buckeyes with white chocolate and dark chocolate and milk chocolate, and I don't even like chocolate. I just like the peanut butter in the middle. Anyway, find someone you don't know. Introduce yourself. Say, hi, my name is whoever. And then say, you know, what's something you're excited about as far as what food you're excited to eat. You know, we're excited about being with family. We appreciate that. We love that. We love baby Jesus. We know that. Um, but we're, we're excited. We want to talk more about food. What food are you really looking forward to, to 
devouring, maybe, what the word is, I don't know. But just get up, take 30 seconds, someone you don't know, and say, hey, I'm excited for a pumpkin pie, or maybe you're carving turkey again, or ham, or some shepherd's pie mixed together casserole of leftovers in the fridge. I don't know. We'll see whatever that is. So let's take 30 seconds. We'll put some music on. Stand up. I'm going to go ahead and ask Dave and Chris to Dunham to work their way up here. Meet someone you don't know. Guys, let's go ahead and have a seat. Get back to those lovely chairs, so padded and comfy. We got quite quick. I like it. Guys, this is Dave and Krista Dunham. Say hi. It's been a while. You guys, we have, uh, Dave, for those of you who don't know, Dave was a part of our leadership team here, a part of our teaching team, and uh, a real key part for a long time of what, what God was doing here at Revolution. And, you know, God decided to move Dave. Um, to a land that definitely needs some missionary work. We definitely need to pray for them because they have moved to Detroit. And uh, right, did I get, is it in Detroit? Are you like in the slums? Are you like in the suburbs? Tell us a little bit about where you're at now, kind of even, you know, job, all that. Give us a brief picture of, you know, just what you're doing and how things are going. Uh, yeah, we're, uh, so Detroit proper stops at 8 Mile, and we're located at 12, so we're just a little bit north of the the city itself. The city, I guess, uh, a, a lot of the stuff that's been going on in the city just keeps spreading out. Um, so we're, we're catching different aspects of that. Um, but my primary role is discipleship and counseling. So um, spend a lot of time doing the same thing that I was doing at Revolution. So. Where, where at? Are you just like put, put, you know, discipleship and counseling in front of your house? Like where are you part of a church body? Yeah. Where, where are you at? Yeah. We're, uh, I'm uh, associate pastor at Cornerstone Church in Roseville, Michigan. So do you ever see Eminem? No, no. Just wondered if he rolls around there. I don't know. Eight Mile was far less impressive than he led me to believe it was going to be. (laughs) Did you ever lose yourself in Eight Mile? I was homeschooled and I knew that song. (laughs) Anyway, so kind of what is the one thing you miss most about Portsmouth? Well, I've I've actually had a really hard time leaving here. Like, um, just, I don't know, the music there is a lot different than what I was anticipating that would be. It's, it's amazing. They have an orchestra and, I mean, just amazing. But it's like, um, I just, I miss it here. And it feels like, you know, this became my family. And um, it's just, I don't know. I, I would say, you know, I really, really miss it here. <laughs> So family, friends, you know, Dave, what, what are you most excited about, about what God is doing in Detroit? And how can we, as Revolution, as our friends and family here for you, how can we be praying for you guys in, in this next step? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think, I think I'm excited about we just um, launched. Uh, they had a, a recovery-based program that had been running for uh, about a year um, when I got there, but it, 
it lacked a lot of oversight and that sort of thing. So uh, I've taken that over, and I'm really excited about where that's going. We've been packing out, um, obviously, uh, drugs. Well, you, you all know you're getting Detroit's mess. So, um, <laughs> so drugs are a big problem in that area, and, and we're, uh, we're really trying to reach out well. So you can pray for that. You can pray that Chris and I would acclimate ourselves well and, and um, uh, serve well in this new church body. It is, it is a little bit different and, and sometimes difficult, but, um, you know, we, we love those folks and we want to serve them well. Most definitely. Well, how's the food? Uh, well, we miss the ethnic dining represented here in Portsmouth. It's Penn just, Station. Yeah. Penn Station. Not the same, but... Penn uh, Station. Yeah. We haven't found a good sub place. I'm, it's Penn just, Station. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. There actually is one in Detroit that's coming up there. I, I, I will be, I, not mine, but I, anyway, we'll get there. Guys, we're going to pray for them here. And while I'm praying, if they need to get set up for their song, they can do that. But um, if you'll just bow your heads with me, and we're going to pray for Dave and Krista. God, thank you so much that we had the privilege uh, of having Dave and Krista part of our family, a part of our team here. And uh, it was such a blessing just to um, be able to, to learn under, under that, that teaching that, that, you, that you gave to Dave here. And he's taken that. You've moved him, Lord, to Detroit. And um, it is a place, Lord, that we, we hear so many things about, whether it be in the news or, or otherwise. And uh, we are connected with this unfortunate connection and seems the drugs. And, Lord, we just pray for them as they continue to minister to those who have fought this addiction. And um, they, I pray, Lord, that you will continue to use Dave and Krista both um, in that ministry there, the best way you see fit. And whether that's with 10 people in, their, in, in a circle or 100 people in a room or 1,000 people in a convention center, Lord, however you see fit. Lord, we also pray that you will help them acclimate um, as it is a big move to be away from friends and family. Um, but we know that they have you and they're, they're in the best hands they can be in. And Lord, we just thank you that we got to borrow them for a little bit and... Um, Lord, you've just moved them on to some other things. So we are excited to continue to hear um, the work that you do through them up there. And uh, we also we just celebrate the time that we have with them today and um, each day moving forward, too. Lord, we love you, and we're excited as we get to hear more of their talents as they share with us in music. Lord, we love you. It's in your name. Amen.
shine so bright 
What's up, Rev? Woo! You guys doing all right? Merry Christmas. Christmas is here in a few days. Um, We're finishing up the Advent Conspiracy this evening with Love Alls, the sermon topic. Um, But before we get into that, like you may or may not know, I'm kind of a Scrooge um, whenever it comes to Christmas. Not that I don't love celebrating the birth of Jesus, which I really, really do. Um, I don't like a lot of the other crap that's associated with Christmas. And I'm not like anti-Santa Claus. It's just like I get too much of it. Um, What I mean by that, you can blame this woman sitting about five rows back. It's my mother. Um, We start listening to Christmas music in the Dowdy Stiltner household in August. And we stop in February. Um, It's miserable. All right. Let me give you a little bit of perspective. There are over 200 snowmen in my house. There's no snow outside, but there's 200 plush or ceramic. God help us. It's miserable, but my mom, it's something I'm always going to remember about my mom, so it's cool. But here's some fun facts about Christmas that I like to kind of harbor inside and know that I know something that maybe everyone else doesn't know. It keeps me going through Christmas. Uh, the first one is uh, we all know Jesus was not born on the 25th of December, right? Um, we get that date. There's the 25th. Uh, some people think like January 6th or 7th. Other people think maybe it was September or April. Um, but what's funny about the 25th is that it's like super pagan in its origin. Okay, it's in December because the pagans, like in Rome, they would celebrate Saturnalia, which was a big month-long festival for the god Saturn. Okay, and then the 22nd, the solstice, which is like nature worship for other pagan cults. And then the 25th was actually the birthday of a god called Mithra. Um, So what did we do whenever Christianity became the official religion of Rome? Um, Decided, let them keep their celebration, let them keep the 25th, um, but we're going to change why we're celebrating it. Um, so there's that. Uh, the second thing, yeah, I, I love this stuff. The second thing, um, the nativity scenes, you guys probably know this. They're not biblically accurate. The three wise men are there. They shouldn't be. They got to Jesus by the time he was between 40 days and two years old. Okay. So your nativity scenes are wrong. Uh, third thing, <laughs> I'm sorry. Third thing, uh, Puritans. Okay. Like here, like on leadership, a lot of us look up to the Puritans as like theological powerhouses. Okay. They hated Christmas. Um, in the 1600s, there was actually a ban on Christmas for like almost 20 years. And it's because Christmas had become like pretty much like New Year's Eve, but for like the whole month of December, like people were just going ape. There was actually one Puritan that said, uh, more sin goes on in the name of Christ during the 12 days of Christmas than the other 12 months combined. So, so they outlawed that for a while and it got reinstated. And then the fourth thing, and some of you may find this offensive, I don't care. Um, being offended is an option. Okay, Xmas, right? Like they're trying to take Christ out of Christmas. Maybe. But I have a big X here on my leg. It's uh, the first letter of Christ in Greek. It's called a chi. So Xmas is actually a fair abbreviation for Christmas. So uh, let's recap. One, 25th is pagan. Two, the nativity scenes in your front yards are wrong. Three, Christmas used to be New Year's Eve, Merry Xmas from Revolution. All right? (laughs) So there we go. That's the kind of stuff that keeps me going. Um, So let's go ahead and let's, let's dive into this. Um, love all. Okay. Uh, what we've had so far is we had, uh, we had worship fully, which Eric covered. Okay. He took us to Colossians. If we're going to worship something, it needs to be very powerful. Okay. And we also have to love it or it's really not worship. So in Colossians, we see that Jesus is the most powerful being in the universe. You know, he holds the world together with his will. And then in Colossians, it also says that God found like joy in reconciling us to himself through Christ on the cross. Okay. And the fact that Christ came and died for us when we didn't deserve it, that is love to us, so it should make us love him. 
okay? And then worship fully leads us to um, spend less. Ryan covered spend less and give more last week. Um, If we're going to worship Jesus fully, we should spend less so we don't get caught up in the consumerist American dream Christmas. And we can focus on Jesus and actually worshiping him because his birth, what we're celebrating, is step one in our redemption and and God's redemption plan for us. Um, So we spend less so we can focus more on Christ, and then we give more of ourselves. Um, because as we focus on Christ and we're worshiping Christ, we understand that he gave all of himself to us so much that he became one of us um, so that he could save us and that we could identify with him. So he gives all of himself. We should give ourselves. Okay. Um, That leads us to this evening. Love all. Okay. If we're worshiping Jesus and we're focusing on Jesus and we're giving more of ourselves and we should give ourselves to other people in love and we should love on people. Okay. Um, so why, why should we love on people? You know, we always like to back things up with scripture. Um, if you guys want to go to Matthew, uh, 22, 37 through 40, or if you don't want to, it's going to be up here. Um, okay. So let's check that out. People are asking Jesus questions. It says, teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? And Jesus replied, you must love the Lord, your God with all your heart, all your soul and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. Okay, so Jesus sums up everything God has ever told us in Scripture in two sentences. Love God, love your neighbor. If you're doing that, you're following all of God's commands. Okay, and think about it. Love all. If you love God, he's outside this world, and you love your neighbor, and that's everyone you come in contact with. Your bases are covered, right? You're loving all. Um, But I think a fair question some people will ask me, you know, why should I love Jesus? You know, why should I love God? Um, And that's a fair question. And I think that once you really understand the gospel, you will start to love Jesus. And what I mean by that is, is think about this. There's Jesus who is in all power and all glory and honor at the right hand of God the Father. Okay, he's ruler of the universe, still is. uh, Ruler of the universe, and he humbles himself so much because he loves us that he becomes a child that can't speak that can't feed himself, that can't take care of himself. That's humbleness out of love for us. And then that child grows up and Jesus knows the whole time he's going to die. And he's dying for people that hate him and mock him and make fun of him. Okay. And and ultimately kill him, but he does it anyway. Okay. That's love shown to us. So the proper response is for us to love him back. Okay. That's why we should love Jesus is because whenever we truly understand just exactly what he did for us and that he didn't have to, but he loved us so much that he did. Um, you know, that's the ultimate expression of love, and that warrants us to love him back. Um, so if, if we understand that Jesus has loved us and we're going to love him in return, how do we do that? You know, like he's not like flesh and blood here like me and Dave are, like I can love on Dave. Um, how am I going to show Jesus that I love him? Because the first commandment is love God. Um, you know, I think that first off we have to understand that we have to love people on their terms, Right? Like we have to love if, for example, uh, me and Autumn, she's not in here. Uh, me and Autumn have been together for two years and good for her, I guess. Good for me. Good for me. I didn't think it was going to last six months because I'm a jerk. Okay. But here we are. She's toughed it out. I've gained everything and she has lost so much by being with me. Um, but okay. Like I'm not very sappy, right? Like a good week for me spending with Autumn is like, here's 50 bucks, we'll go out once, let's watch Netflix at my house, and I'm going to sit on the sofa, and you can sit on the other sofa, and I'm just not very touchy-feely, sappy kind of guy, I guess. Like, anyone watch Married with Children? 
Like Al Bundy. Like, am I too young to know Married with Children? Like, I, I probably am. Everyone my age, if you've never watched it, look it up on YouTube. It is hilarious. He's not a godly man, but Al Bundy's a funny man. Um, so like that, that's, that's me. Like, if she wants me to hug her or kiss her or act like it hurts. Um, but that's how she wants me to love her. She wants me to be affectionate. She wants me to cuddle with her. She wants me to tell her I love her. She wants me to, to hug her. She wants me to, like, I write lyrics and stuff in a band. So she wants me to, like, write little stuff for her sometimes. And if I'm going to love her, I have to love her the way she wants me to love her. Right? I have to love her on her terms. And conveniently enough, Jesus tells us how he wants to be loved. Um, in John 14, 15, Jesus says, if you love me, obey my commands. All right? And what did he just say? We just read in Matthew all of God's commands can be summed up in love God and love your neighbor. And Jesus is God, so all of his commands that we're supposed to obey are summed up in two things. He makes it really, really simple for us. It's not easy, but it's simple. So how are we going to love God? Once again, he's not tangibly here in front of us that we can touch. How are we going to show God that we love him? Uh, I thought about it, and this is the best thing I could, I, best conclusion I came to. Um, we're going to show God that we love him by obeying his holiness standards that he gives us throughout the New Testament. And what I mean by holiness standards, and this might rub some of you guys the wrong way, but I don't know how else to word it. It's, uh, it's the do's and don'ts of Christianity. That's not what our religion is founded on, but that is a part of our religion. Um, you know, we come to faith in Jesus, and he gives us a new nature, and that makes us want to be obedient to him. Okay, and, and he gives us not just list, but like just general like guidelines. Like this is how we're supposed to, these are the things we're supposed to do positively. And these are the things we're supposed to abstain from. So, so what are some of those things? Um, you know, we're told not to lie. We're told not to steal. We're told not to have sex before we're married. Right. We're told, uh, I'm not trying to give you guys like a PSA or anything. Like we're told not to, not to be greedy. Okay. We're told to pay our taxes. Um, so, so those are some of like the negative, like don't do these things. Um, positively, Jesus tells us to take care of the poor, which we're going to get into that a lot here in a minute. Uh, Jesus tells us to take care of the poor. Jesus tells us to be agents of peace and be merciful and be forgiving and be graceful towards people. Um, and, you know, if, if we've been transformed by faith in Jesus, we'll want to do those things. And, and, here, and here's what I mean by like doing these things, show God that we, like this is how we show God that we love him, is... All, all of the things that I just mentioned, like all of like the do's and don'ts of Christianity, um, go against my nature, okay? Like if I get in a tight spot, I want to lie to people um, if it's going to get me out. Um, you know, I, I want to be greedy because I like money. Um, I don't want to pay my taxes because I think taxes are too high, I mean, especially for small business owners. Can I get an amen from anyone in here? Just my family in the back row. Fair enough. Um, like I hate paying my taxes. Um, but things like that, okay? Um, lost my train of thought, making a joke. <laughs> um, okay, so God commands us to do these things that are against our nature. Um, so in denying my nature that I want to lie or that I want to evade taxes or I want to have sex with my girlfriend, I deny myself that in order to follow God's holiness standard and say, I love you in what you've commanded more than I love what my sinful nature wants me to love. So I love you more than I love my own desire. So this is how we show God that we love him, is we deny ourselves and we follow his standards. Now, I don't want you to get confused. Um, following God's holiness standards will not save you. They will not. Only genuine faith in Christ's death, the belief, like if you believe that Christ died in your place for your sins, that's the only thing that's going to save you is believing that. 
Um, it, your salvation does not depend on how well you obey this standard. But I will say this. If you care nothing about this standard at all, about the, the way that God tells his people to live because we've been redeemed through faith in Christ, if you care nothing about that, I do wonder if you're a Christian. I know that's kind of harsh, but it's true. You know, like you're, you're proving that you don't love God if you don't care anything about his commands because Jesus says, if you love me, you will obey my commandments. So just check yourself, you know, if you, if you, and I'm not saying that it's easy or that it's always going to be successful because I fall flat on my face on a regular basis with God's standards, okay? But that's why it's only faith in Christ that saves me. But I try to obey his standards because I love him and I want him to know that. You know, we don't follow God's commands in order to be forgiven. We follow God's commands because we are already forgiven. We want to show him that we love him back. Okay, so there's that. Something else, I don't know if you guys noticed about like God's um, holiness standards and stuff. Um, they have a lot to do with our relationships with people. Like almost every one of them are relational. You know, like don't steal because if I steal from Dave, I'm um, using you a lot. If I steal from Dave, it's detrimental to him because I'm taking something that doesn't belong to me. If I lie to Wolf, um, I'm deceiving him and that's not good for him. On, on, the, on the flip side, you know, if I take care of the poor, they're benefiting. If I'm not greedy, people that are in need are benefiting. Um, so God's law is always very relational. And I think that's because God's a relational God. You know, just his very nature is Father, Son, Spirit, the Trinity. They're hanging out. They're talking. They're in perfect communion with each other. Um, you know, and likewise, God's relational that way. God's relational with us. You know, God's very, very personally involved with us. Like, it's kind of cliche to say in our culture, like, Jesus has, like, a personal relationship with every one of us, and he really does. You know, like, you can see in Psalms, it says, like, before I lived my first day, God had all of my days planned out. Um, he knows everything that's going to happen to me because he has made it so. He knows the very number of hairs on my head. You know, I mean, he's very involved with me. You know, and the fact that, you know, we can look elsewhere in the Bible, and it says that before God created earth, he chose to love me for no reason of my own. Like, he's very, very involved with all of us. He's very relational God, which I would make this statement then. Loving God always results in loving other people because God is relational, right? And all of his law affects how we interact with each other. So loving God always spills over into loving other people, which brings us to our uh, Jesus' second commandment, you know, love your neighbor. Um, you know, and some people will throw up a, a red flag, and I've had people ask me this. Well, hold on. Jesus says to love your neighbor, but God doesn't love everyone because God doesn't save everyone. And they're exactly right, and that's a fair question to ask. Um, does God save everyone? No. He only saves people that come to faith in Christ, okay? But there's two kinds of grace. There is saving grace, which is the grace we receive whenever we put our faith in Christ. Uh, death and resurrection, you know, as, as he died in our place for our sin. There's salvation in that. And then there's a second kind of grace. It's called common grace, okay? It's God shows a little bit of a measure of love to everyone through common grace, okay? And, and common grace is this, like, your life does not suck as bad as it could, right? And you don't have to be a Christian to receive common grace. It's why it's called common grace. Everyone gets it. Um, for example, just uh, take this, and I, I, I use this guy as an example because I just don't like his philosophy. Richard Dawkins, okay, um, hates the idea of Jesus as the Son of God, hates the idea of God, despises Christianity, okay? Um, he's wealthy. He is very smart. There's no getting around that. He's a very smart man. 
um, very influential. He's famous. He eats good food. He probably drinks good beer because he's British. I'm, I'm guessing if he doesn't, there's probably something wrong with him. Um, but you see what I'm saying? His life is a good life. You know, we can look around at people that we know and their lives don't, they, their lives don't suck. Okay, and they aren't Christians. You know, like they have families. They laugh. They have a good time. The sun shines down on them. They're still alive. Common grace says that our life is not as bad as it could be. That's God showing a measure of love to everyone. So whenever Jesus says, love your neighbor, love everyone you come into contact with, he's leading by example. He never says, do as I say, not as I do. He always says, do as I do. Be holy like I am holy. Do the things that, do the things that I tell you to do because I do them as well. So, if we're going to be loving our neighbor, that means we have to love everyone because God shows us how, or God shows us that he does first. Um, I was going to go into this bit in Mark um, about like the rich young ruler and about how we have to love arrogant people, but for the sake of time, I'm going to cut that. Um, Maybe I'm just speaking to a few people here. Maybe I'm speaking to myself. Um, We have to love people that we don't like, you know, and I know like here at Rev, like we tend to butt heads with this group of people we call legalists. Okay. Uh, for those of you who don't know, a legalist is someone who like pays lip service to like, oh, I'm only saved through faith in Jesus, but like their life and everything about how they live really says, well, it's faith in Jesus plus I have to obey those holiness standards almost perfectly. Right? So they're saying Jesus plus something is your salvation, and that's unbiblical. It's Jesus plus nothing. It's faith in Jesus that saves you in that alone. Now, we butt heads with those people because we just disagree really hard. And some of those people think that we're not Christians. Some of us like to think that they aren't Christians. Um, we aren't very loving towards one another sometimes, or maybe I'm the only one that's guilty of that. Like I know some legalists that I've been extremely rude to, um, that I've denounced them as saying that I don't think they're a Christian, um, things like that. But we have to love these people that we don't like, that we don't get along with. Like I said, maybe I'm only talking to me right now, but we have to love these people that we don't like, or we're no better than a non-Christian. You know, people that aren't Christians love the people that they want to love. Like, we're supposed to love indiscriminately because that's how Jesus loves us. Okay, God shows his love to everyone. So if we don't love everyone, then we're not obeying Jesus' second commandment to us. Um, so we have to love people that we don't like. That's hard. But we've got to pray for these people. We've got to seek out their best interest. We have to actually try to build friendships with these people people, you know what I mean? And, and not always look for a fight and actually care about them and pray for them and pray for their churches. You know, that like right teaching could be restored or that if it's not that God's Holy Spirit moves in their churches anyway. You know, we have to pray for the people that we don't like and we have to actively try to love on them. Um, okay, so we're going we're gonna to hop into the next, next bit of scripture. Um, Jesus really lays out what it looks like to love your neighbor. Um, in Matthew, if you've been at Rev for any amount of time, you've, you've been in this, or we've been in this. It's Matthew 25, 31 through 46, I believe. And I think it's going to be up here too. Yep. Um, it's this final judgment. Jesus is saying, like, this is what I'm going to judge you on at the end of time, right? Um, and so let's see what Jesus has to say. It's kind of long. It's going to take me about a minute to get through. Bear with me. Um, but when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit upon his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered in his presence, and he will separate the people as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will place the sheep at his right hand and the goats at his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you fed me. I was thirsty, and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me into your home. 
I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you cared for me. I was in prison and you visited me. Then these righteous ones will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink or a stranger and show you hospitality or naked and give you clothing? When did we ever see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will say, I tell you the truth. When you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. Then the king will turn to those on his left and say, away with you, you cursed ones into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his demons. For I was hungry and you didn't feed me. I was thirsty and you didn't give me a drink. I was a stranger and you didn't invite me into your home. I was naked and you didn't give me clothing. I was sick and in prison and you didn't visit me. Then they will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and not help you? And Jesus will answer, I tell you the truth. When you refuse to help the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you are refusing to help me. And they, will, and they will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous will go into eternal life. That's really heavy. Right, like, like That's huge. Jesus says, like, this is what I'm going to judge you on at the end of time. Did you take care of the least of these? Did you love your neighbor? Did you or didn't you? And the reason why he's judging us based on this is not because doing these things is what's going to save us, but because if we truly come to faith in Jesus and we truly put our faith in Jesus, we're going to be transformed to where we want to help the least of these in our society. And it may not come easy at first, but you will do them because you want to show God that you love him back. Okay, that's, why, that's, that's why this is what Jesus is going to base judgment on, is how well we obeyed God's command in a sense because it shows that we loved him. Remember, we're not called to be humanitarians. You know, there are atheist organizations that do that well. Um, we're called to do all this in the name of Jesus because we understand that we have been loved. Now, something else. Um, that, that bit of scripture oftentimes gets like thrown under the rug, um, especially kind of in like the Bible Belt, backwoods Christianity that we have here in Portsmouth. Um, and what I mean by that is often I'll hear people kind of backlash against that text without even knowing that they're like fighting against the Bible. And these are people that claim to be Christians. Like um, says to help the least of these, okay? The least of these in our society would be the single mother that has like 10 kids from 10 different dads, okay? The, that, that no one wants to help out because she's put herself in that mess. Uh, the least of these would be the dude that's been to rehab four or five times and keeps going back to heroin and no one wants to give him a chance because he's not gonna get any better. Screw that guy. Um, the least of these are like that weird kid in class that no one wants to talk to, you know, that's just been kind of pushed off to the side and no one wants to hang out with him because he's just strange. Um, the least of these are, are the poor, the, the dude on the side of the street in Portsmouth that you see with like a sign or whatever. S- stop and help him. You know, like the people that have been marginalized and that are being oppressed, people that are in sex slavery here in the United States, people that are in slavery all over the world, these are the least of these that we're supposed to be caring for. Right? But for some reason in the culture that we live in in Portsmouth, I, I, I see this like backlash against that. Like I've heard people, people that claim to follow Jesus say things like, say things like, you know, I'll help someone if I think they need help. Or like, you know, that, that, that single mom's working three jobs to take care of her kid because they're, they're, her husband left, so I'm going to help her out because she's trying. Or my favorite, I'll help, those, I'll help the people that are helping themselves because, you know, God helps those who help themselves. Like, let's weigh that against Scripture uh, real quick, just in case you didn't know, because I've actually had people quote that at me, like it's Scripture. That is nowhere in the Bible. Okay? God helps those who help themselves. That is actually the most unbiblical thought that you could ever have. 
Okay, let's go to Romans. Okay, like Romans chapters like five, six, seven, and eight. Here's what they teach you. They teach you that you are inherently wicked and you are born a God-hating sinner. Okay, like you can't want to do good because you're so enamored by like your sinful nature. You can't want to ask for forgiveness because you hate God. You want nothing to do with Jesus. You want nothing to do with God. You want to follow your own wickedness. And what does God do? He sends Christ to die in your, uh, in your place for sins that he didn't commit that you committed. Okay, the Bible teaches that, that we're like in like this muck and mire of our sin. Right, and that like we're so stuck in it that we can't even look up to reach up to ask for help, and that God scoops down and picks us up and holds us to His chest and points us towards Jesus and says, "You're my child, and I love you." We're helpless, and God doesn't just help us; He does it all for us through Jesus. God helps those who cannot help themselves. Do you not realize that? Like anyone that's ever had that kind of thought that someone doesn't deserve your help, have you ever considered how much that you do not deserve your salvation? How you can say that you understand the gospel and are a follower of Jesus and you refuse to help somebody is beyond me because you were helpless and Christ died for you and did everything for you anyway. So I, I, I just don't understand that. You know, so if we really understand the gospel, it will bring about a change in our hearts that we understand how hopeless we were and how helpless we were and we will want to help other people. That's why Jesus says you're going to be judged on how much you took care of people. Because if you refuse to or you don't, then that shows that you don't know Jesus. It shows that you don't love God. And you know, I, I, I don't want you guys to, to underestimate like little things to show people that you love them. Like even just strangers, like I know it sounds kind of corny, like little, little acts of kindness, you know, like genuinely asking someone you don't know, you know, how are you doing, man? Or like see someone trying to pick up something heavy, like common courtesy, go over and help them lift it up. Like you see an old lady, hold the door open for her, you know, like talk to people that you don't know that well, show them that you love them, just little small things, you know, little kindnesses towards people. That's a step, you know, like loving your neighbor isn't just some big concerted effort to go into the East End on Saturdays with 10 people and talk to hookers. That's part of it. Okay, but that's not all of it. It's small things in your daily life that can lead to bigger things. You know, you show someone you love them, you can tell them the gospel. Um, about kindness, you know, I thought this really rocked me really hard. I'm probably going to butcher some of these words. Um, in, in like the early church, um, they called us Christiani, right? Followers of Christ. But before they called us that, they would get our names mixed, mixed up and they'd call us Christiani, people of kindness, so before that we were known as people of Christ, we were known as people of kindness. That you could ask a Christian to help you out, or you could ask a Christian for food or a place to stay, and they took Jesus' command very seriously. And they would do that. And God help us to get back to a point where we can be known as a people of kindness and not a people that are hate-filled. You know, or people that are stingy, or people that just are apathetic. It's just ridiculous. And the reason why I say it's ridiculous is because genuine faith in Jesus produces good works. It produces good actions in the name of Jesus. You know, faith without good works is head knowledge, and that's useless. You know, because here's what the gospel does. It makes sense in your head first, and you believe, and then it makes its way to your heart where it gives you a new nature, and it transforms your heart to want to be obedient to God. And then it eventually moves out to your hands where you start doing the things that Jesus tells you to do. Obeying God and, and helping the poor. That's what real faith does. 
And like I said, we're not just called to be humanitarians. There are atheist organizations that do that, and they do it well. That's part of our job. But there's a bigger picture. Everything we do is just a means to an end. And that end is sharing the gospel. Jesus gives us the Great Commission in Matthew 28. He tells us to go make disciples of all people, of all nations. So we do good works in the name of Jesus so that people know that we actually love them and we're not just trying to sell them our religion. And then once we've actually made a relationship with someone where they know that we care about them, then we can tell them the gospel. Everything is just a means to an end. You know, we feed a poor family so that then we can tell them, you know, if they ask, why are you doing this? You can tell them, well, I'm doing this because Christ died for me. You can tell them, you know, man, we're all sinners, okay? And because of our sin, we owe God a debt. And God owes us wrath because we've rebelled against him. But God decides that he doesn't want to damn us, so he sends Christ to, to humbly be born a child and to grow up with people hating him and, and mocking him. And then after Jesus has lived a sinless life, he takes our sin on himself. And then he goes to the cross on our behalf as a sacrifice for sin, and God pours all of his wrath and hell out on Jesus for our sin in our place. We didn't deserve that. And then Christ comes back from the dead three days later. This God showing this sacrifice was good. This sacrifice was acceptable. This is, this is a sin is atoned for now. You know, we, we do good works in the name of Christ so that we can tell people that eventually. You know, we don't want to sell them Jesus. We want them to know that we actually love them. You know, and like I try to reason a lot of this stuff out. Like just anything that I read in the Bible, like why would God tell me to do this? Why would God command us to do this as his church? Um, this one really makes sense. Like sometimes it doesn't make sense or sometimes I can't figure it out and other times it really makes sense. And this is one of the times that it really, really makes sense. Jesus wants consistency. Jesus wants us to be consistent. You know, if we understand how much God loved us, that while we were sinners and hated him, that Jesus came and died for us, it will make us want to love him and it will make us want to love other people. It's consistent. Love begats love. I understand that God loves me and that Jesus loved me and died for me, so I love them. They command me to love other people, and now I love you, and I've helped you out, and I've shown you love, and now let me show you the ultimate love by telling you the gospel. All this goes hand in hand. You know, like I've said before, you can't say that you love somebody and are not willing to tell them the gospel. How you can look someone in the face and say, I love you, and know that they're going to be damned without faith in Jesus and not tell them, hey, man, there's a, there's a way out through Christ. You can't. So the Great Commission is actually the, the, us telling people the gospel because of the Great Commission is the biggest expression of love that we can show people. It's how we show our neighbor that we love them. You know, it's all consistency. We've been loved, so we show people love. That's what Jesus wants. That's what he commands us to do. You know, and if he's our king and we love him and because we, we claim we love him and we claim he's our king, then we have to obey his commandments and his commandments are to love. Let's pray. Um, Father, thank you so much for letting us meet here this evening. Um, Father, thank you so much for sending your son to die for a bunch of wicked people that could not help themselves. God, thank you so much for choosing to love us when you could have equally chosen to damn every one of us. God, I, I pray, God, that we can go out and, and show people love because you have shown us love. God, I, I pray that, 
that none of us ever lose sight of the fact that we deserved none of your grace, but you gave it to us anyway, God, and that should motivate us to show people that same kind of love and grace. Um, Father, let that just be what motivates us to follow you. Let love be our motivator for everything. God, help us, to, help us just to remember just that you, that you sent your son because you loved us so much, God. Let that never leave our mind. Let, us, let that be what motivates us to do everything. I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.